Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales enablement journey and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Vikas Mandata. He is the Director of Business Value for Ping Identity. Prior, he was an Industry Innovations Lead and Business Value Consultant for Oracle. We're here to talk about the development and launch of his and his team's new business value programs. Evolvers, a warm welcome, Vikas Mandata. Hey, Tom, it's great to be here. Pleasure to have you, Vikas. First, um, there are many out there who might not be aware of Ping Identity and what you all do. Tell us a little bit about the company to start. Sure. So, so Ping's been around uh, probably 19, 20 years now. Uh, Ping has this, this vision of a borderless world secured through identity. Um, what that really means is, you know, we help enterprises secure and provide a seamless experience for their customers and their users, right? The use and means of the world um, through digital identity management. Um, today's people, right? We all expect a seamless mobile experience. Um, enterprises have to figure out how to deliver that to their customers and to their workforce um, without sacrificing that security that they need. Mm -hmm. um, and our, our services uh, really enable both of those pieces. Awesome. Now, you're relatively new to Ping Identity and your value enablement program is new. Um, tell us about your new program that you're creating. Yeah, sure. I, no, you, you, you're right. I, I've been at Ping Identity for uh, just over a year now, I'd say. Um, it started as a conversation between Ando Durand, our CEO, and someone you may know, Bart Finelli, mm -hmm. uh, former Splunk, ran the program at Splunk. Uh, took Splunk public, and then I believe he took Sp uh, Splunk public, um, and now he's the CRO of OutSystems. And out of those conversations, it was, you know, this is this is a need for ping. We are seeing the business change. We're seeing the business morph quite a bit um, from the standpoint that identity was historically very tailored to the technical sales teams, right? We talked to people in IAM. We talked to people in the CISO kind of vertical um, or the CIO teams. But as we started seeing that transition um, to more customer focused conversations, uh, we need a different way to talk to them. Um, we, you know, it's not just the plumbing behind the scenes anymore. There's a lot more to it. Um, so in order to accelerate those value conversations, how do we go about doing that? And that was one of the areas where they said, hey, we need to build a practice here uh, let's get somebody who's seasoned and let's get things going. Awesome. Now, how big is your group today and what's your reporting structure like? Yeah, so the group right now is still fairly, fairly small. Um, I'd say there's, there's two right now. We're growing it. Uh, I, that's doubled since when I started. We're going to be doubling it again, I think, this year. And not for the purposes of empire building, right? For the purposes of making sure we're having the demand pull. Mm -hmm. from the sales teams or from the customer success teams and even sometimes from the product teams so that we can embed value and make it more pervasive in the organization. Uh, now we fall under sales enablement up through sales up to 
uh, up to the COO. So it's it's an incredible structure. I, I'll tell you, in my career, I have it's rare that I see value fall into an enablement practice or an <laughs> enablement team. I'm used to seeing it in pre-sales. But I think we did the right thing here is as part of enablement, we're not limited to just having the conversations on the value engineering side or the pre-sales part of the conversation. We're able to expand the conversation from pre-sales through post-sales, generate additional value conversations because we're learning as we're talking with customers and being able to feed that back in the loop. And then it touches, you know, you go back into marketing, you go back into product. And so it just touches every part of the organization. Yeah, and I think that, you know, as you look at this, one of the catalysts for creating this program, besides Bart having done it very successfully at Splunk, and we, we were had the pleasure of working with him on that program for quite a long time. Um, so we were happy when he brought us into Ping. But I know one of the big catalysts for you at Ping was that, you know, there's this big shift in decision making where it's not necessarily IT anymore that are driving these decisions. Certainly they're involved, but now you've got this whole class of business buyers that are now involved. Talk about that shift a little bit and how that was part of the catalyst of creating this program. Yeah, so our, our traditional buyers are still extremely relevant. We talk with people in IT and the IAM practices still on a very regular basis. I, I think part of that is helping in the conversation with them, adjusting the way we speak. Right. I, I think you, you and I have talked about this in the past. We talk to and get introduced to people that we sound like. And so the more that we start talking about value from a customer or consumer perspective, the more likely we'll get introduced to people that are managing that part of the business. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is, if you're not having those kinds of conversations with your traditional buyers, how likely are they to make that introduction or how likely are they to broker that conversation if you don't even ask for it? but you have to provide that value. And so what's that conversation look like? Now we've seen, and I, I'd say this probably holds pretty true to the industry as a whole, COVID really accelerated that change in the market, mm -hmm. right? We're seeing greater than 50% of the opportunities that we're talking about these days are focused on the end consumer and less so on the workforce, right? Most people have a workforce identity practice kind of figured out, you know, I wouldn't say that anyone I think is 100% there on this kind of the, the buzzword of password to journey to passwordless. But as people are making that transition on the workforce side, there's a lot of the thoughts of, well, what about our customers, mm -hmm. right? Our customers are engaging with us differently. Um, I, I know here in Colorado and probably there in Florida, I didn't go to a store a lot last year right? COVID kind of slowed me down on doing that. So what was the best way for me to engage? One of the brands that I love doing business with, uh, and I was actually happy to hear that they are also a paying identity customer now, but early on, they, it was really hard for me to engage with them or to buy from them. It was because if I couldn't do it from my phone, which let's face it, I, I have two little kids. If I wasn't on my phone somewhere, I had to be in front of a computer. And if I couldn't buy it from my phone, I delayed that purchase. Mm -hmm. So being able to get to a computer where I'd have to log in, probably change a password, which happened often, um, it just slowed things down. And frankly, I managed to not buy things. And so that, that was part of that inflection point I think we were seeing is that market was changing. And so we needed to adapt to the market and adapt to the conversations that we're having. 
Yeah, and in security, it kind of moved from identity and access management being a part of that, you know, kind of this security risk was the value for a while and security TCL, right? It was a very IT centric discussion. It then expanded up to workforce experience and the impact that security is having on the workers, good and bad. And now it's kind of elevated to this consumer experience, which so many brands, that is top of mind for them today. How do we create a frictionless, engaging experience with the consumer? And if security is getting in the way of that, um, and in fact, security can be an asset to help facilitate that, um, that's definitely where the value proposition has moved to. And it's great to see, you know, kind of a, and watch this in the marketplace as well as at Ping Identity for this progression of from kind of a very um, IT centric security view to a workforce experience view to now a consumer experience view and being able to, and kind of depending on who you're talking to, you still need to have that security, total cost of ownership and risk avoidance. Uh, yep conversation, right? But now you, you're enabling sales to have these elevated communication and quantification of value at the workforce and now at the consumer level, correct? That's right. That's right. And it, it's, it's exactly that, right? If you, if you introduce me to somebody in sales and marketing, I can't just talk to them about the benefit of their workforce by having a single sign-on or multiple, right? That, and that's, that's all great, but my sales and marketing guys at a customer want to know how they're going to engage with consumers. Well, here's a better way there's, or there's a different way. Let's, let's approach it that way. And here's the value of doing it differently. And sometimes you want the friction. It was great. I talked with one customer and said, you know, honestly, we actually want a little bit of friction on the people to get them onto the platform. Hmm. Great. Why? Like, do you understand why? Let's, let's make sure we talk about why. Cause for me, I don't understand that part of your business. Like, why would you want there to be friction? And then other people are saying, I only want the friction to exist at a threshold. So if you think about banking, right, if I'm moving, say I'm moving $10,000, which you know, kind of a federal standard, if you're moving that big, big amount of money somewhere, maybe I want to step up my authentication and say, hey, are you really the person you said you were? Mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's do something else to verify that. And in that experience, you're creating... Um you know, first of all, it's a security check to make sure it is an authentic transaction, but you're also creating an experience for the consumer to know, hey, look, these guys are proactively looking out for me. And I know even though sometimes it's a pain when you get those alerts or you have these extra steps in the process that it does give you that warm feeling that, yes, these guys are looking out for me. So completely understand that. So you have value defined and now it's time, okay, now that this new value chain is defined of security, workforce, and then consumer experience, now you've got to put it into a program, right? And get people to start using it and have conversations and have the quantification. So tell us a little bit about the program and kind of how you developed it from there once you had the defined value. Sure, so I, I mentioned that we roll up and do an enablement uh, part of what we looked at at Ping is, yeah, you know, as constantly all companies are doing is where do we make the investments? Where do we make the strategic bets? Mm -hmm. And one of the places that we made a very strategic bet was ramping up our enablement program. And our enablement program is really broken out into kind of three pillars, uh, technical enablement, sales enablement, 
and value enablement and part of the value enablement is better storytelling, right? As we can tell better stories, it, most humans remember things through storytelling. Yeah. Um, that's really where value enablement focuses and value enablement works across all three pillars. Um, and we, we kind of changed enablement at Ping quite a bit. We brought in uh, Larkin K. Uh, I think you've met Larkin, Larkin yes. is for the past engagements. Uh, she really reframed our team holistically and made sure through the conversations her and I were having was how do we add value, not just in the one pillar that I'm focused on, but across all three. And then how do we start reaching into the rest of the organization so that as sales are having conversations, we're distilling as much of that information as we can. As mm -hmm. product marketing is having these conversations, how do we pull from that? But not just being a take organization, right? Giving back to those organizations. So we started there, right? Just framing up what it was going to look like at Ping. From there, we started building really strong connections with product marketing. Uh, product marketing had, uh, as I'm sure you've seen in, in your career, they had spreadsheets already, right? Mm -hmm. Spreadsheets existed on how do we calculate value? Um, I'll tell you my first value career or my first value position, we had a spreadsheet as well. <laughs> and I, I feel like everybody starts there. It's, yeah, it's an easy I did way. Too. <laughs> right. It's, it's an easy way to get something started. And we started there, but it, those spreadsheets didn't scale. Right. And being, being the kind of start of the team, I had to figure out how do I get to more people faster and how do I start collecting information on the background? And then we went from thinking about scale to now starting to build some quick wins, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't enough to say, Hey, I've got this vision for the future. I, I know where I want to get we had to show incremental progress and have the sales leaders start buying into this model of being able to take value to customers. Um, and so as, as we started going that pro down that approach, it was uh, something that I think most people will hear me say is think big, right? That's that vision. I know where I wanted to go, but think big, start small, move fast. And that's what we did um, from, from when I started I got engaged directly with the sales team and the organization just to get that deep learning mm -hmm. about, well, how do we work? What's, what's our motivation? Who are we talking to? What do we talk to them about? Why do they care? Mm -hmm. And then taking it from there to, well, help sales leaders, what, how do you guys want to approach this, right? What do you want to take to your customers? Because we know what they want to hear, but what else can we offer them? How do we start building that value bank with those customers. So that if we ever need a drawdown on it, we have provided value early on. Um, and then just keep accelerating through those motions. And I think a couple of things with the spreadsheets that you started with, which are the way to kind of uh, begin instrumenting for scale. Uh, first, it was all about the numbers and numbers crunching in those spreadsheets, right? Very little storytelling. And as you said, storytelling is effective. And then second, you know, those spreadsheets were only going to go so far because we know sellers don't like to use them. There's version control issues. You know, there, I call it the seven deadly sins in spreadsheets. And, um, you know, you can look up that white paper on it. Uh, I don't want to go into every one of the elements, but, you know, talk about some of the ways that, that you took the spreadsheet and then kind of got it to the next level. Sure. I love spreadsheets. I, I'm a former engineer. I love numbers, right? That's, it was something that I, I kind of grew up doing. I, I remember the first time I was using a spreadsheet on my Apple IIc uh, way back when, and they're great, but they are limiting, 
-hmm. you know, you, you look at some of the aspects of their limiting factors. It's, I couldn't just give a spreadsheet to a salesperson and say, hey, go use this. Mm -hmm. There's some expectation of them having, being an Excel, Excel savvy user. And frankly, that's not what you pay salespeople for. Mm -hmm. right? Salespeople tend to have a different skill set. And if it's, if it's Excel, maybe they have a CPA background, but that's not what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So you have that one limitation. Um, I also don't love that, you know, there's no backend data gathering or okay. like you mentioned version control, right? If we were going to change, maybe, maybe there was an error in something that we had, or maybe we saw a different way to approach a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, now you have 30 versions that are out there that you can't call back, right? There's not a mechanism to call those files back. And then you don't do, you can't do trend analysis, mm -hmm. right? So there are some of these metrics that I wanted us to start getting to um, that we knew Excel wasn't going to be the solver of the problem. And, and fortunately, not my first rodeo, right? We, we've seen this in the past. Um, so we've looked for ways to transition from spreadsheets to um, a platform that would allow for all of those pieces and then some. Uh, and that's, you know, I think that's where we found you actually that Bart, I think Bart introduced us and said, mm -hmm. hey, you, should, you guys should really talk with Mediafly about this or Alinean at the time. Yeah. And, and start making some progress down that road. Excellent. And part of the program too was not just to stop at, let's create a value communication quantification financial justification tool for sellers to use, but you wanted to have it go much more throughout the customer life cycle and the journey, right? Talk about that's, that. Yeah, no, that's right. I, much like any technology, I, so I, I'm, a, I'm a former consultant as well, as I was a former engineer, as a former consultant, I've done a few different things. I didn't like the idea of looking at a product or looking at a partner for a single, for a single point in time. So pre-sales, mm -hmm. which is where most value engineering or value acceleration teams focus is on the pre-sale side. For me, it, it made more sense to look end to end through kind of the customer life cycle. Mm -hmm. When did they start the journey with us? Uh, some of that I can affect, some of it I can't. How do they engage with us? When after after a sale, what, what do they still need to know? And how do they continue selling an investment internally? Um, and then after all of that, there's the so what? Well, we, we did some great work. People are using our platforms. People are doing great things. How do you continue preaching that story? How do you mm -hmm. continue showing others uh, that people have seen value? Or how do you even be transparent and say, well, we try to measure value and unfortunately things didn't line up. I, I'm fortunate I haven't had to see that part of it yet. And, <laughs> and when I do, I think we've got other problems that we have to talk about. But, uh, but the nice thing is, is as you're going from end to end with marketing tools. So I actually think this week um, we're updating our marketing footprint to include some new tools um, that uses the same backend. Mm -hmm. And then we are rolling out, uh, we've already rolled out a value tool for our pre-sales organization mm -hmm. that has had tremendous uptake. Um, I'll tell you, I had, while I had big expectations and big hopes, um, I was told I wasn't swinging high enough, which <laughs> is it, rare for me to hear. Um, but our CEO said, I think you can swing a little bit harder. And we've actually blown out his number too. So that's, that's oh, wow. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of assessments that are running on the pre-sale side. 
and part of the conversation of you know continuously beating the drum, continuously enabling, continuously showing support for our sales teams, uh, we work with them directly, even if it's just on an assessment, on a hypothesis. Like we'll we'll roll up our sleeves, we'll get into duels with with our sales teams and make sure they understand what everything means. They understand what they want to talk about. And then on the CS side, on the customer success side of the house, we're rolling out uh, what we're calling realized value. Um, much like we have rapid value for the pre-sale side, we have realized value on the post-sale side. And that, you know, the idea there is how do we show the customer what they thought they were going to get? How do we put success plans together and how do we track success? You know, what are the metrics that they want to measure and continuing down that journey? Love it. And then from there, as you prove the value, then you could go back to the pre-sales model and maybe expand the relationship, expand the licensing, expand the use cases. Yeah, that's right. And I'd say even, even a step further back from that is once we have the realized value, now you have data points that you can talk to other customers about, mm -hmm. right? You say, did you know that in your industry, here's what others are thinking about? Did you know, here's what some of the results look like? And as you start having that conversation, you change the mindset a little bit of your customers of, well, I was, and I'll tell you, I, we talked to a, an entertainment company not too long ago. We showed them, showed them one of the tools and their, their comment back to us was, well, I was thinking about one or two of these things because that's where I'm hyper-focused right now. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about the impact in these other areas. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about those? Absolutely. Let's talk about them because maybe they're more important than the ones that we were focused on, or maybe they have more consensus around the organization on why we need to make the investment versus the ones I was focused on. Yeah, they might've been looking at the security risks and TCO, but they know the rest of the organization is gonna make the decision and the bigger impact is if they could affect workforce and, and That's right. consumer experience, absolutely. And I think that is one of the, the great things about how we design your tool and the, one of the philosophies is, is you know, make sure you understand the roles of who you're engaging with and make sure you've got challenges that cover all of those roles because every role has this unique uh, point of value perspective. Right. And you've got to open the horizons and both open the horizons and frame the discussion in a specific way that's A, going to give you a competitive advantage and B, hopefully open up the aperture within that customer to think about things and challenges that they might not have been thinking about before that you can uniquely solve, which is always the best. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I know adoption and scale vital when you've got a program of costs that where you know you only have a couple of resources and even if you double it, shoot, you still have less than a handful, right? <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times organizations, and it doesn't sound like you ran into this, are challenged with adoption as they launch and roll out. Talk about how you were able to overcome that. Um, what were some of the things that you did to make sure the program got launched successfully and is adopted? Yeah, I, I don't even know that I go as far as saying that we didn't have that challenge. I, I say, I think we still suffer from that challenge and we probably will even into a distant future. Um, as new people come on board, as mo more people aren't mm -hmm. thinking about it. What I, what I will say is those that get it really get it, right? We had a uh, standard innovation adoption curve, right? It's you had the innovators that got it right away and said, hey, look, there's a new, new tool in my toolbox. I'm going to go use it. I'm going to go learn it. Mm -hmm. And let's see if it makes a difference. And some of those folks we had during our pilot stage. And we deliberately pulled a pilot team together before we rolled anything out to the larger audience that covered new sales folks, 
seasoned sales folks, people who knew our industry, people who didn't, to get very candid feedback. You know, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What would you like to see differently? And as we started down that adoption curve, the innovators, they just kept providing feedback. I had one yesterday tell me, look, the tools that we rolled out really cover this swath of the deals that I'm working on because it gets me to get the information out faster and I don't have to bother you guys, mm -hmm. which being bandwidth constrained, yeah. probably a good thing, right? Um, so that was awesome. And then we had kind of that nudge to the early adopters. We had early adopters really take hold of it. Um, and it's been, it's been good for the tool set. It's been good for the value program as a whole uh, because they happen to be the ones that speak pretty prominently about the benefit that they're getting. And it's, it's helpful when you have some folks closing big deals using, using tools and they're like, hey, I need more of this. That, that's always beneficial. And being able to hold those deals up to the organization and say, hey, these deals are attributing back to the tool being used a specific way. And that's, that's always right. good that's that right. you're able to tout that success. Um, and I think part of what you're implementing too is a continuous program. Cause like you said, there's new people joining all the time. Ping Identity is a growing company. So yeah. you probably have, and I know Bart went through this at Splunk. Um, you know, there would be some quarters, a hundred, 200 salespeople that were joining and going through the training. I mean, the growth curve was phenomenal. Um, talk about how you've kind of got this continuous improvement process in place. Yeah, that, that, that takes us down that innovation curve, right? It's to the early majority, late majority kind of laggards is we I kind of look at things now just from that framework as we have those innovators, we have the early adopters on. How we, we've done a great job. We have a, an awesome person on our team, uh, Cassidy Corcoran, who has put together an amazing Accelerate program where it's as we're onboarding, people are going through sales methodology, they're going through technical enablement, they're going through a lot of the materials that they need to become more familiar with paying mm -hmm. processes, how we operate, but also just beating the drum, right? And part of what we do in this Accelerate program, the ramp program that she has put together is we beat the drum there because we talk to them about just business, we talk to them about the tools, we talk to them about value and mm -hmm. approaching business differently. So that's one, that's one piece that we have um, we evangelize all the time. I, you know, I'd say without the evangelism, the program probably dies. Mm -hmm. I know I saw that in a past life where you get the folks that use it all the time. And then you have the folks that don't even know it exists. If they don't know it exists, it doesn't matter if they're working on something big or small, yeah. they're not using the tools that are available. It's just because they don't know about it. So we, we get the message out often. Uh, to make sure that they're hearing it, that they see it, and they see the impact of it. And then with the sales leadership team, uh, we provide reporting to them. So they see who's using it, what they're using it on, that's driving. So that way they can shine a light on the dark spots or the dark areas um, and go ask the question, right? To go be very open, say, why, why aren't we using it? Mm -hmm. Or, and if you're not using it, and it's not a problem if you're not using it, let's just be cognizant of why, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of good reasons out there, but I had somebody tell me the other day, hey, I used it for an RFP, it was awesome. Great, it wasn't a use case that like we had focused yeah. on building, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's good that you could use it there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, 
when it comes to the adoption and you said you kind of are, are beating your goals there, um, you know, what goals have you set up and how are you measuring that success? And are, are there any kind of early wins to announce so far? Uh, you know, I don't know if I can announce any early wins uh, outside of the fact that we are hitting all of our metrics. I, I'm, I'm very much a pragmatist. I want to make mm -hmm. sure we have KPIs that we're targeting too. Um, if we overshoot them, we'll adjust accordingly. Um, so we're targeting things as simple as, well, how many assessments were done? Mm -hmm. right? that's, that's an easy one, right? You just, sure. you, we pull it out of Salesforce, how many, how many were run, how many, and how many were run deliberately to an opportunity versus how many were run to test the system and sure. children, right? So mm -hmm. we've got, got to separate the, the signal from the noise there. And then what's our coverage of the sales team, mm -hmm. right? How many of them are using it? Yeah. How often are they using it? So we, we do a 30, 60, 90 day look to see who's used it, has the follow-up, is the follow-up happening? If it has, do we need to start go back with different teams to readdress the conversation? Um, those are easy ones. Then it's, well, what size opportunities are they being used on the most? Um, and is there a trend that we're seeing in those opportunities in terms of what challenges that we're addressing? Mm -hmm. And so we're measuring we're probably not measuring everything that I want to. We're measuring more than I thought we would at kind of the early stages of, of rolling it out. Yeah. Another one that I know is good to look at is just, you know, opportunity coverage. You know, what's the total amount of opportunities and how many opportunities are covered by value? Yep. Uh, and then certainly we've had other organizations, and I know that you've um, talked to another of our clients, Aaron Froberg, and he's he's actually able to get it now. And granted, his program launched a couple of years ago. Um, they're able to track win rate improvements as one of the key metrics, deal size improvements. And then yep. they're also tracking time to close. Um, he's had a 2.6x improvement in win rates that they're wow. able to attribute to deals where values used versus not used. Is it completely causal? Um, you know, it can be argued, right? I mean, <laughs> is it directly, you know, but when you look at deals with and without, there's a number of attributes. The seller could be better. The, you know, there's a lot of factors there, but it's pretty compelling. And then deal size, you know, yep. 20, 30, 40% improvements are not. Yeah, Tom, I had that same conversation three weeks ago. <laughs> I have, I, Again, love spreadsheets. I do have a model that shows what the difference is between um, the haves and have-nots. Yeah, yeah, the haves and the have-nots, exactly. Yeah. And it's and it's compelling. It's it's a big enough delta in the basis points for change that it's what's justifying increasing the headcount. Yeah, is we have to grow so that we can cover more deals, but you don't want to grow and have overcapacity because sure, as a as a functional area that not tied directly to a dollar value, not, not carrying a bag. You, we wanna be cognizant of being capacity constrained deliberately. So that mm -hmm. we're only focused on the opportunities that need the attention versus having overcapacity and trying to find work for people to do. Yeah, and then figuring out how to leverage sales enablement, which I think is a big part of your adoption yep. advantage right now compared to yep. some other companies that, that we work with where you're part and parcel of sales enablement and sales enablement's job is to get sales to transform, to be more effective and capable and more productive. And uh, I think that's had a big impact on the early success that you're seeing, definitely. I agree, yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Now. 
you got your start in business value consulting. I want to know how you got your start. And then as you scale your program, I know a lot of folks are having trouble finding the right business value consultants. So talk about that a little bit. How'd you get your start? Sure. So I, my background, I'm an electrical engineer by trade. I, I study electrical I engineering. Too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it was great because it gives you a method to the madness, right? You have to solve methodically circuits mm -hmm. and different things like that. So that that's my background. And then I went, I, I worked at Raytheon for about eight or nine years um, where I got to work on some really cool things as an engineer. And I, I started finding myself wanting to understand what the problem was that I was solving versus how I was solving the problem. And as I started making that transition, I went back to business school, got my MBA, uh, connected with a buddy from business school and said, hey, why don't you come into consulting? So I went into management consulting, mm -hmm. uh, did that for four years and learned a lot of the, I'd say, basics for management consulting, right? What are the frameworks? How do we, how do we talk about problems, the, the concept of people, process, technology, right? All of those kinds of concepts and start framing problems that way. Um, and then just at half in chance, a, a buddy of mine said, hey, there's an opening at Oracle to join the business value practice. You have all the metal you need to get it done. Are you interested? Um, and I, I took you a were probably at that point, like, what is a business value practice? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? I'd never heard of this thing. Uh, didn't know what these guys did. Uh, felt like funny magic. Uh, but the more I talked with the organization, more I talked with practitioners at Oracle, the more I understood why, why they were doing what they were doing. Um, and then, so I did, I took, I took the opportunity, uh, learned a ton uh, from so many people at Oracle uh, to the point where it was, it became, started becoming more and more second nature mm -hmm. to everything that I did from kind of that point on. I, I ran a, I kind of did industry innovations there where I got to think about the cutting edge technologies and the cutting edge use cases that are out there, but always supporting those use cases with what's the value to a cut? Like why do it at all? Is it a new market opportunity? Is it a new channel for sales? Is it just improving the life of people, right? What's the existential reason to do this? All, thinking through all of those things. And then, you know, for me to come to ping, uh, just have to be the next step was they had a need, uh, something that I was very, that I am very passionate about, and it happens to be in my backyard. Yeah. So I thought, hey, look, I'll, I'll get off the road for a bit. I was on the road like much of us were before COVID. I was on the road mm -hmm. weekly, and while I, I love that time in life, I was ready to do something that was a little bit more local. Yep. Spend more then, time with the family, which is always good. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. Now, from a business value consultant perspective, when you're hiring, you know, there are not many business value practitioners out there that have been formally schooled. I mean, we are definitely a growing community, but what do you, what do you look for? Um, certainly business value consultants, but if not a business value consultant, where, where else are you finding these resources? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, I, I actually don't even look for business value consultants specifically. Mm -hmm. um, while it's nice and while they understand the frameworks, I, I want people that are, that are gritty, people that are going to roll up their sleeves and figure it out, kind of the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, I, you know, if I'm looking for my ideal candidates, they, they maybe have identity security experience, mm -hmm. like that would be plus, 
they have financial modeling experience. That's, that's a plus. Maybe they have some business value experience, whether they engage with the business value person or they have seen it in action or they were one. Uh, those are all pluses. But I really want somebody that has the consulting mindset mm -hmm. that isn't going into a customer to sell something is going in very much to be a trusted advisor. And I know that's an overloaded term in our industry these days, um, but it's something, it's, it's one of the first things that I tell customers when I'm talking with them is, guys, look, sales, I, it's not the first time that sales will probably yell at me after the call and say, oh, I can't believe you said that to them. But if the investment doesn't make sense, the investment doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, and so let's make sure we understand what the needs are, what the investments are that the customer's going to make. Um, and it was, it was funny. I was on a call with uh, Rob Bellina, who I, I think you've been introduced to Rob Bellina at this point. Yep. A great guy. Uh, but I was on a call with Rob the other day. And he made comment of, well, it sounds like the customer isn't actually looking to do this. They're looking to do this other thing. And that's, I, I think we all had this aha moment, like, wow, Rob, we didn't even see that. I think you're right. Like, that's what we need to go back and tell them is mm -hmm. while we, while we think we could help you, it's just not the right time for you guys. Like you need to go do something else. And then when you're ready, let's, let's do this. Yeah. Um, but and just that really will be think, a better outcome. And that's ultimately what we're here to deliver. Um, sure. Cause you could sell them short term and then realize they're not going to be successful and you know, almost all of us now are selling subscription services. So it's not just a one-time sale. In fact, <laughs> the, the short term, we're losing money on many customers in year That's one right. and year two. And we really rely on these successful outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want the customers to churn. You want them to be successful. Yeah. Because um, ultimately they have a bigger mission than, especially in our case, than just identity. Yeah. Right? Their bigger mission uh, may be something a little bit more infinite than just how do I get more customers on my platform? What are we trying to really solve for? Yeah, totally agree. So covered a lot of ground. Um, what is the one piece of advice you'd like to leave the Evolvers with today, Vikas? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of go back to something that I said earlier. It's think big, start small, move fast. Um, have the big ideas, have the big targets, um, have the BHAGs, right? The big audacious goals, have them. Build metrics as your guidepost. Make sure you know what you're targeting, how you're going to get there, and adjust accordingly. Assess those metrics often. Um, we make fine tweaks to what we're doing on a very regular basis, probably on a weekly basis. Do we change something and see what the behavior changes? And then just move fast, right? It, none of us have time right now to kind of sit back and just wait and see and hope, right? Hope's not a strategy. I think we've all heard that in the past. Hope's not a strategy for success. And so, um, you know, roll up your sleeves, get out there and just and move fast. It's okay to fail, right? Fail fast too. Pivot and go do it again. Uh, that, that would probably be my, my one piece of advice. Yeah, I got to uh, hear a podcast with the founder of Netflix and um, the fail fast is absolutely something that he uh, promotes. And in fact, he said, look, every business idea that you come up with is the wrong idea. Initially, every idea is the wrong idea. Um, there's goodness in probably some of those ideas. The, the, uh, the thing is, is fail fast on the ones that are not going to be good at all. And then any of the ones that have some inkling of hope, 
iterate, 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 be agile with it, right? Iterate yeah. over and over again to refine it, refine it again. And But when you look back, it wasn't that initial idea. It was something derived from it, but it was evolved from it. Oh, yeah. So I, I love the concept of, you know, implement quickly, be fast with it, um, fail fast or improve and evolve quickly. Great. But love it for cost. How can people find and reach you online? Yeah, so I'm easily found on LinkedIn, Vakas um, Mandata, and just reach out. I, I take messages. I don't generally just respond to uh, connection requests, especially if I don't know who the person is, but shoot me a note. Let me know what you want to talk about, um, whether it's how do we start a program, uh, what's the benefit of it, or hey, we've got a problem in identity. Can you help talk us through it a little bit? Um, whether it's me or I get somebody else engaged, happy to do that. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things about the community, uh, the Evolvers, Vacasas. We're all here to help each other in any way we can. I know I've connected you with a couple of others in the community, and I'm sure you'll be connecting to some in the community as well to give them help and and have them learn from what you've already learned so that we can, you know, fail fast and evolve quickly to success. That's right. We're um, in it together. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Vacas, for first of all, for being a part of the, the MediaFly family and giving us the opportunity to help you. And then certainly being a part of the Evolvers community. Yeah, no, I appreciate, I appreciate both everything that we've done on the value side of things with MediaFly, uh, you know, more than anything, just the fact that we have this Evolvers community to, to lean on and have conversations and see if we all need to do something a little bit differently. And, and like you say, evolve. Yeah, love it. Until next time, Evolvers keep evolving. <laughs>